0: Hello, and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 79, St. Agatho. Dear brothers and sisters, annuncio vobis, annuncio vobis, annuncio vobis, gaudium magnum, gaudium magnum, gaudium magnum, habemus papam. everyone for the last couple weeks we've been in the middle of this monothelite crisis and we are so close to finishing it we're almost done when we left off the story the emperor had sent a letter to pope donus asking him for a church council to be held in constantinople to settle this issue once and for all and the emperor the emperor constantine iv he was pretty orthodox and he had just defeated the caliph of the umayyad caliphate and had put a hold on the arabic conquest of the byzantine empire so a little bit of peace A little bit of stability, now he has time to deal with this religious controversy that's been plaguing the Byzantine Empire. And so into this dramatic final part of the story comes our pope for today, St. Agatho. Agatho was originally from Sicily, from the city of Palermo, which means that he was probably more of a Greek origin, and he spoke Greek originally rather than Latin. Sicily had more of a Greek side at this time than a Latin side. Butler's Lives, drawing from the Libra Pontificalis, describes him as a remarkable man for his charity and benevolence, a profound humility, and an engaging sweetness of temper. Now, it was said that he had been a Benedictine monk before becoming Pope, and there's a legend, or or rather a conjecture, which Horace Mann and some other uh, papal biographers relate to us, that some people associated St. Agatho with an Agatho mentioned in a letter of St. Gregory the Great. And in this letter, St. Gregory writes to the abbot of the monastery in Sicily to encourage him to let a man named Agatho into the monastery. He writes, Since then, Agatho, the bearer of these presents, desires to be converted in your love's monastery. We exhort you to receive him with all sweetness and love, and by assiduous exhortation kindle his longing for eternal life, and study to be diligently solicitous for his soul's salvation, to the end that while by your admonition he shall persist with devoted mind in the service of our God, it may both profit him to have left the world, and his conversion may be to increase of your own reward. Know, however, that he is to be received only if his wife should be wished to the simile to be similarly converted. For when the bodies of both have been made one by the tie of wedlock, it is unseemly that part should be converted and part remain in the world. So that's Gregory the Great. And if you remember, we talked about him a long time ago. So if this letter is actually about Pope Agatho, that would make him around a hundred when he serves as Pope. In one of the letters, St. Agatho does complain about chronic illness, and he's going to live only a couple years after being Pope, so it might be that he's a very old man when he's elected. It seems to be the case. The tradition at this time seems to have been to elect older men uh, to the papacy, but it doesn't necessarily seem credible to posit him as 100 years old. So it could or could not be Agatho. Some scholars have thought so, but, but who really knows right now? Anyway, this Agatho, Pope Agatho, was elected Pope in June of 678, and waiting on his desk was that letter from the Byzantine Emperor to Pope Donus asking for a council. And In the letter, he specifically asked that the Pope send learned representatives from the Holy See, along with several additional bishops and representatives to the various monasteries of Italy, to this council. Agatho, when he received the letter, said, let's do it. That sounds great. He asked for a synod of bishops to be held all throughout the Western Church to help articulate clearly what the Orthodox faith of the Church was. And then, once they were armed with these results, the representatives would be sent off to Constantinople. Constantinople. Now, there were synods held in England, in Milan, in Rome, and in other places in the Western Church. And afterwards, the synod in Rome appointed three representatives to serve in Constantinople, two priests named Theodore and George, and a deacon named John. The Pope himself wrote a letter detailing the true faith, which he sent along with the representatives. And in addition, he wrote a letter with the Roman Synod, which had you know, declared a certain profession of faith. So there are two different letters. Now, the introduction to this letter is really awesome, so I'll just read a little bit of it to you. While contemplating the various anxieties of human life, and while groaning with vehement weeping before the one true God in prayer, that he might impart to my wavering soul the comfort of his divine mercy, and might lift me by his right hand out of the depths of grief and anxiety, I most gratefully recognize my most illustrious lords and sons, that your purpose of holding a council afforded me deep and wonderful consolation. So as we continue, his letter is really an articulation of the true faith, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And it's long, you can find it online easily and read it for yourself, but I do want to quote you know, one of the money lines that really kind of talks about the controversy we're engaging in. For we equally detest the blasphemy of division and of commixture. For when we confess two natures and two wills and two natural operations in our one Lord Jesus Christ, we do not assert that they are contrary or opposed one to the other, as those who err from the path of truth and accuse the apostolic tradition of doing. Far be this impiety from the hearts of the faithful, nor as those separated, per se separated, in two persons or substances, But we say that as the same our Lord Jesus Christ has two natures, so also he has two natural wills and operations, to wit, the divine and the human. The divine will and operation he has in common with the co-essential Father from all eternity. The human he has received from us, taken from our nature in time. This is the apostolic and evangelical tradition which the spiritual mother of your most felicitous empire, the Apostolic Church of Christ, holds. So he's really making a clear statement of what the true faith is, and it is not monothelitism. And when these letters and the legates arrived in Constantinople, the emperor really wasted no time. In November of 680, he summoned the Third Council of Constantinople, which, if you're keeping score at home, this is our sixth ecumenical council. Starting at Nicaea to Third Constantinople, we've done six ecumenical councils. And at the council, after various introductions and arguments, the letters of St. Agatha were read aloud. Then the emperor asked those in attendance, what do they think? And the majority of the bishops, including the patriarch of Constantinople, responded, And we, most pious Lord, accepting the teachings, the suggestion sent to your most gentle fortitude by the most holy and blessed Agatho, Pope of Old Rome, and of that other suggestion which was adopted by the council subject to him, and following the sense therein contained, so we are minded, so we profess, and so we believe that in our one Lord Jesus Christ, our true God, There are two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, undividedly, and two natural wills, and two natural operations. And all who have taught and who say now that there is but one will and one operation in the two natures of our one Lord Jesus Christ, our true God, we anathematize. So that's it. The council professes the true faith, that there are two full natures in Jesus Christ, Now there was one holdout, that was the patriarch of Antioch, Macarius, who responded, I do not say that there are two wills or two operations in the dispensing of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, but one will and one theandric operation, but he was the only holdout. Everyone else agreed. And so in the Acts of the Council, it concludes with this long train of anathemas and praises and Praise for the Orthodox and Anathema for the Heretics. And we see this a lot in church councils documents. It's, it's kind of fun to read. You imagine them just like crying out spontaneously in the council chambers. I'll skip a lot of them, but I just want to read a couple that you might have recognized from past episodes. Many years to Agatho, Pope of Rome. Many years to George, Patriarch of Constantinople. Many years to Theophanes, Patriarch of Antioch. Many years to the Orthodox Council. Many years to the Orthodox Senate to Sergius the heretic anathema, to Honorius the heretic anathema, to Pyrrhus the heretic anathema, to Paul, not the apostle, the patriarch of Constantinople, the heretic anathema, to Peter, again, not the apostle, a different Peter, the heretic anathema, to Macarius the heretic anathema, to all heretics anathema, to all who side with heretics anathema, may the faith of the Christians increase, and long years to the Orthodox and Ecumenical Council." So this is pretty great. In 681, the council concluded with a definitive letter of faith condemning monothelitism and promoting the truth that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And they began to write to Pope St. Agatho back in Rome, but they received news that in January of 681, St. Agatho had died. Apparently that summer, a disease had swept through Rome, and Agatho, who was old as we mentioned, caught it and succumbed to the illness later in the year. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica, and he was succeeded by St. Leo II, who will receive this final report from the Third Council of Constantinople. But we'll have to wait and talk about that next week. Thank you for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on iTunes. Thank you, everyone. God bless you.